and welcome back to the Girl Talk Up podcast. I am your host, Rachel, and today we have Fatima and Jenna from the Cantu Foundation, which is a volunteer and donation-based nonprofit whose focus is to rescue and rehabilitate dogs in need from the poorest areas of Tijuana, Mexico, and Southern California. Born and raised in Lima, Peru, Fatima has always felt a strong affinity towards animals. After moving to Boston, Massachusetts at the age of nine, she found herself always looking for ways to get involved with helping animals. As she grew older, she began volunteering in shelters in the Boston area and even took a few mission trips abroad to assist in spay and neuter programs to help educate those communities on the importance of spaying and neutering. She has since adopted three dogs of her own, one in particular, Cantu. Cantu is a special needs pup who has completely changed her perspective on rescue dogs and the value that they bring to this world. Cantu gained a significant following on social media in a very short time span, and it has been through his platform that they have garnered enough support to bring the Cantu Foundation to fruition. Fatima has always had plans of starting her own nonprofit, but didn't see that happening for many years. After stepping in to help a couple of dogs earlier this year, she realized that the time was now. She hopes to continue growing the Cantu Foundation to save as many dogs as possible. Jenna was born and raised in San Diego, California and grew up in a household full of animals. With a mom who was always taking in stray dogs and cats, rescue came very naturally to her. In college, she worked as a volunteer director at a local no-kill shelter in Santa Barbara and post-college she volunteered in South Africa, working with lions, tigers, hyenas, and a variety of other wild animals. It was through these experiences that her love for animals grew even deeper. Growing up, her father owned a beach house in Rosarito, Mexico, where she and her sister spent a lot of time. She remembers begging her father to let them take in the countless homeless dogs they would encounter. She has seen firsthand how dire the situation is in Mexico regarding the homeless dog population, how deeply neglected, unloved, and abused many of these street dogs are. And it is because of that that the Cantu Foundation resonates so deeply with her. Approximately two years ago, she became involved with an organization called the Animal Pad, or TAP, and it was through TAP that she found the Cantu Foundation and connected with Fatima. She rescued her first dog almost five years ago, who is a big, blockheaded pit bull. Her love for her own dog is also why she fiercely advocates for this very misunderstood breed. To find out more, you can go to their website at thecantufoundation.org or their Instagram or Facebook, the Cantu Foundation, for more information on volunteering, donating, fostering, or adopting. But with that being said, let's get into the episode. so excited to have you guys on because Cass and I love animals so much us and a lot of our friends actually follow and have followed the Cantu Foundation so we're so excited that you guys are here and we'd love to hear who you guys are and kind of what your role is at the foundation okay perfect um so I'll start off with me my name is Fatima I am the founder of the foundation I am Peruvian I was born in Peru, came to, I'm from Boston. I'm currently living in Boston. Uh, we'll get to how we ended up having a rest, starting a rescue in San Diego. So yeah, as of now, that's, that's me, Jenna. <laughs> Hi, yeah, I'm Jenna. I'm the director of operations for the Cantu Foundation. Um, born and raised in San Diego, living here now. I kind of do a wide variety of roles, but the team and I have really been together in this since the start. 
So we we also would love to know kind of how the Cantu mm-hmm. Foundation got its start, uh, what its mm-hmm. mission is, and kind of just what those first, I would say the first couple, like the first year or so, what that looked like for you guys. So we just got started back in April 2020. This was mm-hmm. a, definitely a pandemic a project. pandemic project that, um, believe it or not, Jenna and I didn't know each other at all. Mm-hmm. I have a dog named Kanto. He is a uh, Instagram sensation. <laughs> I adopted him about three, four years ago. Um, he's paralyzed. Um, he's a big character. So in 2017, I think it was 2017. I don't know if you guys followed the Dodo, but the Dodo did like this video on Kanto and his story. And his Instagram kind of exploded from there. I My goal, because uh, I was Kanto's foster mom at first. Um, my goal was to one, get him adopted, but two, also to talk about how normalizing adopting a handicapable dog like Kanto. Uh, so, you know, I started recording, you know, changing his diaper, what's our daily routine looks like, you know, when he eats, uh, all of that. And just like genuinely like sharing my experience and, you know, sharing him with everybody. And we got the Dodo, the interview and from one day to another, his Instagram just blew up and his video in the Dodo has been watched over 50 million times. And it's incredible. You know, I always talk about the power of social media uh, and I'm so, I'm like really thankful for it. So Cantu, you know, our pages for fun um, and ultimately just sharing our experience. Jenna actually followed Kanto. Um, he was, she was one of like, you know, part of the community of the Kanto community. And, you know, she, Jenna has been rescuing way before I have. Uh, and she would, you know, reach out on Instagram, like, hey, like, you know, can you help me raise money for this dog that I just rescued? And, you know, the one thing, you know, we wanted to use our platform is to talk about, you know, just adoption, but also help him raising money for dogs that needed it. So one time Jenna reached out that she had a dog that needed an amputation. And so it's just like, oh, like, let's go for it. Like on a swipe of a button, I can get attention of over 6,000 people on our stories and hopefully, you know, over 100,000 people to donate potentially, you know? So that's how ultimately, you know, Jenna, and I remember Jenna after like, she sent me that GoFundMe link. She was like, if you ever need anything in San Diego, like, let me know. And I was like, oh, thank you like so much. Like, I really appreciate it. And then she rescued another dog. And then in collaboration with another Instagram dog influencer, we helped raise money for this dog to get all the medical care it needed. And then uh, one of our followers one day messaged us and was like, there's this handicapped, a paralyzed dog that's dragging himself. He's a puppy in Tijuana, Mexico. And and I'm like, oh my God, like, what can we do? And then I remember Tijuana, San Diego. And I was like, oh, I have a friend there. (laughs) So I reached out to Jenna and I was like, hey, I was just like, I know like we don't know each other, but, and she was working volunteering for another rescue at that point. I said, do you have any connections? I was like, I will personally, we will personally, you know, fund the money for this dog's physical therapy, the chair, diapers, everything. And she was like, yeah. So she reached out uh, to the rescue and they said, yes, you know, obviously taking on a handicapped dog is very expensive. And we just raised almost $3,000 in 24 hours. And 
from the time that I reached out to Jenna to when uh, the first dog that we rescued together crossed the border from Tijuana to San Diego, it was five hours. Mm-hmm. And she because she was like, I'll go down right now. She was like, I'm going down with my mom. So she went down and she got the dog. And, you know, we stayed in communication because of the dog, the rescue tap that helped uh, pull uh, you know, they took the dog in, even we were covering, you know, all the expenses the dog needed. And then we, the person that had reached, initially reached out, told me about a rescuer in Tijuana, how she was older, had over 30 dogs. So I got in contact with her. And then I slowly just started getting like, you know, through WhatsApp, like uh, there's a different, there's so many independent rescuers in Tijuana, as you guys know, and it just kind of snowballed from there where, you know, they were like, we have a pregnant German shepherd and she just gave birth under a mobile home. And I was like, okay, well, if we pay for everything, like, or raise money for this dog, can this rescue tap, take them in. And, and Jenna had the connection. We reached out to um, Lauren, which is a director of operations from the animal pad. And we had like an instant connection where we would rescue these dogs, rehabilitate them in Mexico. And then, you know, transfer them into their care. And it kind of snowballed from there. And we were able to raise money. One of the cases that we first initially rescued uh, was of like this half blind uh, pit bull that was in the worst shape that you can imagine. Uh, I don't think we've gone uh, like a worse case than her. We raised over like five, $6,000. And unfortunately, she passed away like 10 days into the rescue. And I remember telling John, I'm like, we have three, $4,000 left. How do I return it? It was through Venmo. It was through GoFundMe. So we're like, all right, well, let's keep rescuing. And we were lucky enough to meet another, uh, a couple in Mexico that wanted to help us. And then at one point I was just like, well, um, we're getting too many donations, not too much, but like going through PayPal, I was like under my name, at one point I'm going to get taxed on it and I'm not making any money from this. So it kind of got into our idea, like, let's see if I can get our nonprofit going. And that Salvacantu Foundation kind of was born. <laughs> that Honestly, I think that's really amazing because I think Cass and I, as for people who have always lived next to Tijuana and have gone down there, there's always stray dogs. I think it's unfortunate because once you start going down there so often, it you start kind of becoming numb to it. Like you yeah. always, you know that it's, it's going to happen. It's not a surprise anymore, but I think that's, it's amazing what you guys do. And I think it's great that it's on a volunteer basis too, because it's people who genuinely love animals and I don't trust anyone who doesn't like animals. So, <laughs> um, but that's, that's amazing. Or if an animal doesn't like a person, that's how you know you're like, <laughs> yeah. well, this person's maybe a little sketchy. Um, you kind of mentioned a couple names, Fatima, and we know that Jenna's on the team, but who else is on this team? And are these people that you folks already knew? Or is it just people kind of that you were able to meet through social media and have reached out to you folks? Jenna, do you want to take this one? I think social media is what truly made us who we are today because none of us knew anyone. Fatima and I had, we didn't even meet until after our rescue was officially started. She flew to San Diego. I took her to Mexico and it just kind of blew up from there. But every single volunteer, we have 48 active volunteers now. They have all just been followers, friends of friends, just people that truly love animals. And they're for all over the U S they're not just in San Diego. So we have so many remote volunteers 
None of our teams paid. It's all truly people that just love dogs. Everyone has full-time jobs, families, other things going on, but they want to dedicate their spare time to this. And I think that's what makes it so magical and so real, but also so successful because these people, they don't have to do this, but we have 48 people on this team that give, you know, their blood, sweat and tears to just save dogs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Today, just talking about the, we were like, all right, well, how many volunteers do we have? And we started counting, you know, we have our adoptions team, our foster team, our transport team, our events team, our writing team, and our vetting team. And we were just started adding everything up. And we're like, oh, my God, we have, there's 48 volunteers, you know, <laughs> and, and I texted Jenna, I said, how did we go from just me and you to 48 other people that we had we don't know none. Like we didn't, I didn't know Jenna. Like she mentioned, I legitimately, we started talking in April. I met her in October. Once her rescue was already like, you know, the foundation was already up and running and it's incredible. I, if you told me in 2019 that this was going to happen and that I, I'm uprooting my life from Boston to move to San Diego next year to continue this. <laughs> yeah. And I know you guys mentioned that um, you guys have volunteers all throughout the States and obviously Jenna, you're in San Diego and Fatima, you're in Massachusetts, but how is that kind of running a nonprofit across the country? Like, are there any snags that you guys, is it something that kind of is in the future? Maybe you guys all getting together and all being together at um, one place at one time, or what does that look like for you guys? That would be the dream to have all four <laughs> volunteers in one room at the same time. Most of these people I have not met. And I think that's the reality of like building this rescue during a pandemic. We couldn't really get together. And now we have a volunteer span across the U.S. So that definitely would be at least one of my goals is to get everyone together. Yeah. And I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of group messages. Let me tell you <laughs> with a lot, you know, each, because Jenna and I, not only we, we overlook the whole operation of the rescue itself, but uh, we also, you know, control our foster aspect of it. Uh, so every dog that crosses from Tijuana or Mexico into San Diego, we have direct communication with each of our fosters. We've gotten so lucky to find people as invested as we are in this rescue. I'm probably over, I overdo it sometimes, you know, where I have my phone 24-7, I will answer 24-7. I don't care what I'm doing. Same thing with Jenna. And I always, I always, at the beginning, I always told myself, I'm like, I can't expect someone to be as involved as Jenna and I are, because that's ultimately, it's a volunteer position, you know? And as we grew, as people got more involved, we, I started seeing those changes and people taking bigger roles, just taking initiative in things that I, I would take initiative in. And it filled my soul so much because I'm like, oh my God, like there's more people out there than just us that are willing to go like the mm -hmm. full nine yards, you know, yeah. for dogs that they will never probably meet. Like, of course, you know, uh, an adoptions team, you know, we have people that process applications that are coordinate the adoptions. Most of the time, these people will never meet the dog that they're helping. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to make that connection with them. But one thing that I, th this feeling will never go away is how thankful I am for each and every member of our team. And, you know, I 
always text and like, guys, thank you so much. I share pictures of the dogs we rescue. So they are the first ones that know, you know, what we're doing. Uh, I share after they got adopted, like the family adoption picture. And, you know, and I always let them know, like, I know sometimes it's, it's, you, you forget, like, what well, it's just calling someone like, hey, like, would you trust this dog, this person with a dog, like doing a, a, a virtual home visit. But it's not just that, like, it means so much more, like, in the whole overview of the, the foundation. I love yeah. that. I um, too. <laughs> so Rachel kind of mentioned, like, Rachel and I both grew up in Chula Vista. So we're literally like, two exits away from Tijuana, growing up, always going there with my family too. What made you choose Tijuana and not like another border area? I think just because I was like you too, I was born and raised here. So I grew up crossing the border and just heartbreaking to see time and time and time again, all the stray animals that it just is never ending. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think once you know, Fatima and I got together and we started brainstorming and then she saw the need. And then when she finally came down here, it's like, there's never going to be a limit on the dog. There's never going to, it, we're never going to run out. It's yeah. constant. Um, and I think that's the difference between here and the U S you know, there's so many dogs in need in the U S but as two countries, we treat our dogs pretty differently. Mm-hmm. And in shelters down in Mexico, it's a whole different setting than shelters here. And I think seeing that firsthand, it just struck a chord with us. And like Fatima said, she's made so many connections down there too. So we have such a great team in Mexico as well that it just keeps going. Yeah. I mean, we've been lucky enough, you know, um, a, a lot of people in Mexico, which is understandable, you know, uh, the work that they do with dogs, they live from that, you know, uh, whether it's raising money and stuff. Um, there's one person in our team that does get paid and that's Rosa. Uh, she is a person legitimately pulling these dogs off the streets and rehabilitating them to bring them to San Diego. And that's what she does. This is her life. There's nothing mm-hmm. else. Like for me, you know, I, I have my nine to five. I don't mm-hmm. make a penny from this. And, but Rosa, that's, that's her life. And, um, you know, we have a team, we're slowly but surely getting a team together in Mexico for just volunteers. And we're tapping into that young community in Mexico, where we are, if one time we had this girl, I, I still love this story, but um, we were at the vet in Mexico, and um, that we were supposed to go in next and the vet said, there's an emergency coming, can you guys wait? And I said, okay. And there was this lady uh, that came, a dog got hit by a car and they're bringing it to euthanize it. I was like, oh my God, you know, and I'm, I'm a crier. I cry. I will be crying while I'm picking up dogs off the street, mm-hmm. but I do it. You know, I push through it. Then I see like uh, the, do- the doctor went out and then Rosa was there with me and she knows how like, you know, I'm like, I'll take this dog in. I don't care how bad it is. Like, let's give it a chance instead of just euthanizing it. And in Mexico, you know, it's, as you guys know, it's common for people to see dogs getting hit by a car and it's, oh, okay, mm-hmm. like, it's not my problem. This family saw the dog get hit by a car. They got out of the car, picked the dog up, put it in their trunk and bring it to the vet. And Rosa went out with the vet, saw the dog. And then Rosa came in and was like, go see, go see the dog. And I was like, oh God, okay. And I remember the dog was in the car. I looked down and, you know, she was just, I remember this dog's eyes just was like pierced right through my soul. And I remember telling the lady, the founder, I said, listen, we'll take this dog in, no problem. Like, 
will keep you updated. And then she she goes and she hands me like 300 pesos, what she was going to use to euthanize the pup. And I said, no, 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 you keep it. And I remember she she was like, what? (laughs) And I was like, no, no, like, don't worry. Like, you keep it. Thank you so much for, like, you know, bringing this pup in. And she was like, okay. Um, And I was like, all right, no worries. Like, you know, we'll take it on from here. And she gave me her phone number. Her daughter gave me her phone number. And she ended up reaching out to me, asking me how the dog was. And I said, she's doing fine. Like, if you want to come see her, you're more than welcome to. And uh, till this day, they volunteer. They come down. They live 15 minutes from Rosarito. They mm-hmm. come down and they help us walk the dogs, shower them. And since then, you know, little by little, we, we're becoming more known in the Rosarito area. So there's more people that are coming in. Right now we have five volunteers that, you know, come once a week, once, twice a week. We have even fosters. You know, in Mexico, usually if you have a temporary home for a dog, uh, you have to pay for it. Uh, we have two fosters right now in Mexico that they don't want a penny. They just, we provide everything they need. We provide food, crates, pee pads, toys, shampoo. We pay all the vetting care. And they're like, that's fine. I just want the dog to be okay. And, you know, there's a lot of people in Mexico that love dogs. You know, they want the best for them, but unfortunately they're the ones that are, they're the ones that, you know, they get paid for it. So like we've expanded, we don't just rescue in Tijuana now, we rescue in Rosarito, we rescue in uh, Ensenada, we rescue in Mexicali. So I think, you know, definitely we're, we're reaching and trying, of course, we could just stay in Tijuana and we'll have dogs forever. Right. But it's just ultimately getting the rescue out there knowing that, you know, we're, we're here and we're willing to help the community and educate. You know, I, I remember trying to figure out what name we wanted to go with. And I was just like, I don't want to just be a rescue. I'm like, I want to be a foundation because I want us to also play a role and, you know, maybe have stay neuter clinics in Mexico um, having, you know, I don't know, you know, educating the community about the importance of like the welfare of animals, you know, and they don't have that down there. It's like a cycle, you know, they see their parents, they see people do it, they grow up, they become those, it's, it's a cycle. Yeah. And I think we'll definitely get into like that cycle a little bit later, but Fatima, I think there's so many people who can really relate to you as far as like feeling extremely emotionally connected to animals and especially dogs. And I, Cass and I have talked, I remember, um, I had a childhood dog growing up. His name was shadow. I had him since I was in kindergarten and I think he lived till like 15 or 16. And I'm telling you, I have never cried so hard when having to like, let go and mourn and like anything. And, and I think with animals, it's like, there's just something that's so pure to them. And I think that's why a lot of people can probably relate and love your foundation because I think, you know, animals, especially like they can't really help themselves. They really need that someone else to come in and help. So I can totally relate to that. Anytime I see like a sad video of animals I cry immediately so (laughs) that's like the easiest way to start waterworks (laughs) I think yeah had um posted like kind of a graphic post I think of like puppies and like where they were and I was like oh my god I can't even watch this because I was just like instant like tears in my eyes you know but I think it is important to still show that and show the reality of um you know Jenna you kind of talked about it like really the difference between animals 
in Tijuana versus animals in San Diego, you know? And I think that's why it pulls at our heartstrings even more because most of the dogs we rescue, they've never been shown love. They've never been shown kindness. They've never had two meals a day. They've never slept inside. So it's when they get to our foster homes in San Diego, they get to experience all that for the first time. And it's truly like such an unbelievable moment. And I think that's why having fosters it's just an amazing experience. You know, I have fostered myself many times. Fatima obviously has as well. There's nothing truly like it. And I think our fosters are regular fosters. They see that and they almost become addicted to that feeling because mm-hmm. you're experiencing all those first with those dogs. And some of those dogs may need a little longer to trust people. They have a lot of health issues to overcome, but I think that's why Mexico really takes a toll on us in terms of the dogs in need down there because most have never experienced anything like that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you guys can see like the shift in those dogs too. Like when you first get them versus like a couple days in when they're getting that like, you know, love and just like the, the real experience of what it's like to just be a dog, you know? And I think that's what makes it worth it. Like when we first started this, you know, with a lot of rescue and success stories, there's also a lot that don't make it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a sad reality. And, you know, I've seen it for a while. I I think Fatima was a little bit more new to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just kept, you know, we have this like mantra that we saving one at a time, we can't save them all. That's the sad reality, but we can save as many as we can. And sometimes they don't make it, but then most of the time they do. And then there are success stories so Jenna's definitely like the anchor when it comes to that. Uh, just like I said, she's been in the rescue world a lot longer than I have been. And I remember at the beginning, uh, it would really, every loss that we had, I took it so hard every time, you know, and I'm a very emotional person. That's how, you know, let my feelings out. And I would cry, like, I would cry, like someone just took like my dog and stabbed it right in front of me for a dog that I've never met before. And, I remember my mom, my sister used to be like, like, if you're going to continue this, you have to either toughen up or, you know, thicken up your skin, something. And the one thing that, you know, that really soothed me was Jenna always telling me like, all we can do is, you know, because it was just two of us, you know, two of us. She was like, like, we can only save one at a time. And that became our, you know, part of our logo, like the Cantu Foundation, like saving one at a time. You know, it's like, I, I always, I always talk about the, violence and horrible like er, the experience of just being in Mexico and how they treat not just in Mexico it's just it's all over Central America and everything Mm -hmm. but seeing all that it's like a huge fire and we're over here like saving one at a time like with a little bucket throwing water on top of it you know Uh, but we're starting somewhere this is not something and everybody will take on and start their own rescue and sometimes you know when you see the whole picture you're like oh fuck like we're not doing anything you know Mm -hmm. But then, you know, we look back on how much we've grown and how many dogs we've helped that it really puts everything in perspective and why we have to keep going. Because, I mean, apart from the emotional toll, truthfully, what hurts me the most are the dogs that we can't save. So I, I, can, I can spew out every dog that has passed away because we weren't able to get to it. And those, I mean, I love the dogs that make it and it's an amazing feeling, but the dogs that uh, we don't get to or like that die because 
you know, I like to like, I like torture myself. I'm like, with the, we didn't get to them on time are the ones that will forever be in my head. And those are definitely like the tough, toughest loss because, you know, we wish we could do more and we can't. Yeah. And I think that is a good mantra to kind of live by of like you are, you guys are really just doing everything that you possibly can. And I think kind of on that topic, like what does a rescue kind of look like from start to finish? So, I mean, um, the, just like getting up the 501c3, uh, running up and running the 501c3, that nonprofit, like th- that paperwork, I was lucky enough where I was able to find a lawyer that specializes on that. And I paid for them to do all our paperwork from the beginning to the end. Uh, you have to get a board of directors and kind of go from there and pay the fees, uh, for, you know, the state federal, um, and we got our paperwork in less than a month. And by the time that we were getting all our paperwork done, you know, our, our group started growing. We met this amazing girl named Brianna uh, that lives in uh, San Isidro and wanted to be involved in the rescue. Um, and we kind of just started growing from there. You know, Jenna and Brianna will go down to Mexico once or twice a week each to get dogs crossing the border and start changing lives. Um, you know, we just it's so emotional in time, like dogs, like till this day, like when they cross the border, you're like, yeah, like they're Americans now, like we're good, <laughs> we're here. But the, the, their, their story doesn't end there. You know, the effort keeps going way past when they cross the border. Like I overview most of the, the rescue, how it functions, but Jenna's physically there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because like I said, we have a lot of branches. We have the adoptions team. We have our foster team that Jenna just ultimately looks at and you know jenna if you want to talk more about like the whole operations part of it yeah i mean i think what's important to because there's so many different types of dog rescues you know you see ones that have actual facilities and we do have a facility in mexico that rosa uh, oversees but once they cross the border we have no facility you know whatsoever they are strictly in foster homes so I think that's what makes it challenging on our part is that we cannot cross a dog until they have a confirmed foster in San Diego. So there is a lot of moving parts to that because, you know, to transport a dog means we have all of that lined up um, and the dogs do go directly into foster homes to kind of start that journey. And then from there, they're adopted. Um, so it does, it, it, it takes a team and we have an amazing team to put that into play. Um, but it's not as simple as just crossing a dog. You know, we need fosters because without fosters, we can't rescue dogs. They're really our core of this rescue. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, from let's see, let's just go down the line from when we rescue a dog right off the streets. Rosa will go and we'll take it into our vet. They will run initial tests. If they are healthy enough, they will get vaccinated. Uh, if they're not healthy enough, we will have to wait until they are. Then a week after that, they get spayed and neutered if they're old enough. Then well, that's when our team starts looking for fosters. So we have our foster team that we reach out to say, hey, this is a dog that we are looking for a foster for. If you anyone comes to mind, so each one of our foster team, they have processed each application that has come in. So they're either aware of the person they process or they remember someone and then they start reaching out. Then if we have a confirmed foster, Jenna will reach out to Rosa. We organize them for Rosa to drive from Rosarito to Tijuana. Uh, Jenna picks them up in TJ. 
then we cross them over into a foster home. We start a group message, you know, and sometimes fosters have a lot of questions. A lot of them are fostering for the first time. A lot of them are fostering because they want to get to know a dog to potentially adopt. Mm -hmm. Um, And Jenna and I just answer every question that we can with them. Then we have to set up a U.S. wellness exam for each of our dogs. Um, and so we have to get them checked out in San Diego. So we have partnered vets in San Diego, which our vetting team sets up. So when we're ready for this dog to get checked out, receive its remaining vaccine, so get spayed and neutered, we reach out to our vet through our volunteers. There's like a whole process. There's email templates, um, yeah. you know, to stay organized. Because, I mean, we have over 50 volunteers. This organization is key when it comes in communication then this dog ends up getting, you know, fully vaccinated and is checked off, ready to go to get um, adopted. Then when the dog is ready for adoption, we submit a questionnaire uh, to our foster so they can fill it out for their dogs to see what's the ideal home for this dog. Is this dog potty trained, crate trained? Does it walk good in a leash? And then our writing team takes that information and writes a bio. Then we have our other, you know, our team that puts everything on the website. They take that in. They ask for pictures. We submit pictures. Then they go up on, you know, our website. They go up on Pet Finder. And then from there, you know, our adoption team kicks in. When we have a match for the dog, the dog ends up getting a match. What if this dog gets five applications? We have to look at every application add people to the wait list, pick the the better, the best applicant that we can find. Then our adoption team reaches out to set up, a, to organize a meet and greet. And then the meet and greet happens. If it's successful, we start processing the application. If it's not successful, we move on to the next applicant. Then once that's done, then we have to process the application. We do home checks. We do reference mm-hmm. checks, landlord checks definitely seems like there's so much that goes on behind the scenes too because you yeah. know for someone that just looks at it via instagram it's like yeah. so like all oh, these dogs are so cute and you see like when they're adopted and like you know because i've been following you guys for quite a while and you know you don't think of like really what's going on behind the scenes that's like the whole process in a nutshell <laughs> which is extensive you know, we want responsible, loving adopters for our dogs, which is why we jump through hoops to make sure it is the right person, the right match. Same with the fosters. You know, we really, our teams are so good at processing both fosters and adopters to make sure that they're suitable, safe, comfortable homes for these dogs. And it's, it's really amazing what they do. Well, and that sounds like so like preventative, you know, like making sure that it is a good placement and that these people are going to be really willing and invested to be with these dogs because, you know, the last thing we want is, oh, you know, you guys deal with so many puppies, like this puppy's so cute. I want this puppy. And then people are like, oh, actually, I don't know about this breed or maybe I don't like that this dog does that. So then it goes back into that whole system, right? Of like rehoming it, readopting it and all of that stuff. Yeah, we definitely experience that. (laughs) I mean, when you adopt a dog from us, it's in your contract. If you can no longer care for that dog, no matter what, it comes back to us. So, okay. Okay. Which really it's more work for us, of course, but we want to see the long-term, you know, Mm -hmm. home for that dog. And if it's not with that first adopter, that's okay. We'll find Mm -hmm. it's 
Well, and that, truly, that truly sets you guys apart from like, you know, no, no tea, no shade, but like PetSmart, Petco, you know, where they're just like, we want these dogs or like, you know, even other places that have like shelters, like, are just like, you know, we want these dogs out and maybe they don't end up coming back to them. But it's like, you guys are really taking the time to like, have these people actually like, hey, you're signing this contract. You are responsible for this dog. And if not, like, we're willing to take this dog back in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, our contract is bulletproof uh not does it go from like if you don't want this dog you have to return it to us if we have to chase after you to return the dog you have to pay for anything that we had to pay mm-hmm. you know if, if you don't get this dog spayed and neutered uh, or completely vaccinated we can also come after you and after your dog because this whole process is taking a while definitely to set mm-hmm. up but it's for the wellness of our dog. Sometimes, you know, people are like, I need the dog without submitting an adoption application. And I was like, no, you can't. Because mm-hmm. just like you want to see that the dog's a match for you, we need to see that you're a match for the dog. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're, we're not here just saying, oh, anybody, please adopt this dog. No, I will a hundred times change the dog's foster five, six times as long as we can find the best adopter. Because they don't go through this whole, like, you know, they, they, these dogs suffer and, and for them mm-hmm. to be brought all the way to San Diego to kind of go through the same thing, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I've had tough conversations where after, you know, they go through the preliminary check of their application, they get to meet the dog. And then there's a red flag on their mm-hmm. application when we're processing it. I'm always the one I never email them. I directly call them and I say, mm-hmm. this is why we cannot adopt out to you. Mm-hmm. And this is why like, I'm sorry. And I say, you know, we have a lot of, you know, checkpoints in our process because of that. And, you know, people get upset, you know, but I, I always try to put it in the, in the best way as possible. Like I'm here to be the dog's voice. Mm-hmm. And if, if I'm going to hurt your feelings, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I, I need to do what's best for the dog. Absolutely. No, I, I really um, appreciate that about your guys's foundation and just really taking those extra steps because you truly care about these dogs. And, you know, Rachel, Rachel technically has two dogs. I like to tell her right now I have one dog um, and it's just, you know, it's how Rachel said, like, you really emotionally connect with them, like in my feels and I'm crying and Indy just comes up to me and I'm like, we don't deserve dogs. They're literally the best. <laughs> yeah, no, I I definitely feel the same way. I yeah, I have my dog Jesse, and then I live with my sister, and she has her dog Church. So I technically have two, <laughs> and I'm the only one who works from home, so I'm with them all day. But kind of on that topic, like, what are the qualifications that you guys are looking for for fosters and adopters, and even the people who volunteer for you guys? Fosters, um, we definitely need them to be in San Diego, if not in San Diego, Orange County, just because that's where our vet partners are. And that's just where all of our supplies and our, you know, core foot of our foundation is. But for fosters, um, they don't need to have experience, but obviously someone who loves dogs, someone who's home more often than not, just because we can't have a dog cross the border, go into someone's house, have them gone, you know, nine, 10 hours a day. It's just a rough transition for the pup. Um, so someone who's home more often than not is ideal. And just, it really depends on the dog. You know, some dogs are great with other dogs. So if that foster has another dog, that's perfect. If, you know, they have kids, we kind of have to sort that out. It really just depends on the needs for that dog and also what that foster is looking for. 
but someone who's just willing to dedicate their time. I mean, that's really what we need. We provide everything else. We provide all the supplies you could ever ask for food, crate, leash, collar, pee pads. I mean, you name it. We have a storage unit in Mission Valley where they have open access to go get whatever they need. So it's really just about, you know, we just need someone who loves and cares for the dog and who has the dedicated time to take it on. Yeah. And I didn't even know that you guys had those resources for people who foster Mm -hmm. and adopt. I think it does help kind of with that transition of like, especially people are new to having dogs or who aren't used to having dogs that have come from that, just from that predicament. So I think that's, that's probably a relief for those people. As easy as possible. We never want them to pay out of pocket for any type of supplies. I mean, we provide everything that you need, you know, so that is the goal to make it as easy as possible, but for them to just solely focus on getting that dog into a home. I mean, again, these dogs, most of these dogs have never been into a home. So it's the foster's job to really acclimate them and, you know, experience all those firsts with them. And I'm sure that takes off the factor of like maybe people that want to be fosters, but maybe just like monetarily aren't able to. Um, So I think just providing that really helps. I think people be more willing to foster these animals. Yeah, it's it's just we ask for your time and 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 patience and love. That's ultimately you know what we ask for. Like Jenna said, we don't expect our fosters to spend any money. And, and th- their dog, you know, just having time to schedule the vet appointment once the dog's ready for adoption, you know, having time to set up meet and greets and kind of being invested in that process alone. And I know, um, kind of going to the next topic, I know that one of the long-term goals for the Cantu Foundation is to build a sanctuary. What's the timeline for that and where? Um, Maybe like what are things that you folks need to move forward and make this um, vision and dream like a reality for you guys? So I think definitely our, um, that's my my five-year plan for the Cantu Foundation to have a sanctuary in San Diego. I don't even know how it kind of steamrolled into, we already have our sanctuary in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've been able to set up kennels, grow patches of grass and, and just like this a lot of land. And it's a dream, you know, when I went to see it um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, seeing the grass, a lot of our dogs never experienced grass. So they think it's really weird. <laughs> uh, so we have, you know, when you walk in um, two cement you know, on each side, there's two cemented, you know, uh, pathways where you walk into, like we split it up for big dogs and small dogs. And each the area has their kennels that's all cemented floor. You know, then they have a big patch of grass. They have like, we're going to get sprinklers for the summer because you guys know it gets so hot down there. Right. You know, we have like a nice shade. We're working on trying to find a tree that we can go and uproot and plant in our in the in that area, you know, and we've come such a long way from where we started. And I am so happy that we are able to provide this type of temporary home in Mexico for these dogs until they have the opportunity to cross San Diego. So ultimately, um, my the five-year plan will be to open up a sanctuary in San Diego, um, like a facility where we're able to you know, sometimes we have dogs that we need to rush into San Diego, but we can't find fosters, you know, um, mm-hmm. pregnant moms, 
dogs that need, you know, immediate surgery that we wouldn't feel comfortable doing in Mexico, um, you know, whatever it is, and we can't find fosters because we're foster rate, uh, based rescue, we don't have anywhere to take them, you know, uh, or if, uh, if uh, we cross a dog and then the foster decides, hey, I can't foster anymore, and the dog's already on its way to San Diego, you know, what do we do? We, do, we panic, you know, it, it's definitely caused Jenna and I a lot of, um, a lot of headaches, but having mm -hmm. the opportunity to Bring, have a facility where we can bring our dogs, have, help them settle in, maybe have a better foster matching process where the fosters are able to come and meet the dogs before mm -hmm. fostering them. Because right now, ultimately, each, all our fosters, when we introduce a new dog, we're like, like, well, what are they like? I'm like, well, they're sweet. They know how to pee outside and they might know how to walk on a leash. And that's it. That's all I know. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but having a facility in San Diego will ultimately make that whole process a lot better and accuracy overall and um, matching a foster with a dog. Um, so, you know, don't we're, we're donation based. Um, we have either a monthly a monthly donation program that we're getting up and running. It's called TCF Angels, you know, where we have different tiers of people donating monthly, whether it's $5 or $100. Um, it's, it's, it, everything helps. And I, I make sure to always write this in our post when we're, you know, asking for money uh, for donations is, you know, every penny counts. You know, there's people that, you know, I understand we just got, everybody got through a pandemic. Um, you know, it's people that donate $5 and, you know, they might skip their morning coffee and they're like, $5 can go a long way, you know, that will get a vaccination that will get a doll, you know, a bath. Uh, it, it really it accumulates and, and it makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that's what's challenging for an independent rescue like us, because we don't get government funding. We don't get grants. We get we get nothing except for what people are willing to pull out of their pockets. Um, and that's random. So sometimes we can't expect, you know, some months are slower than others. It's not right. a steady income that we get. And a lot of times we'll pick a dog off the street that needs a six, seven, $8,000 surgery. And we kind of just have to wing it because what else are we supposed to do? So I think yeah. that's the, but also the challenge that we face in this rescue is that it solely is dependent upon donations. Yeah. I mean, and we've been in situations where there's a dog that needs emergency surgery and the surgery costs $7,000 and all we have left in our bank account is $8,000. And you're like, what, what do I do? Do I leave the other 30 dogs that we have in their rescue with no funds and, and save this dog's life? So there's nothing that gives me more anxiety than um, than having to ultimately put put a price on a dog's life. Um, you know, that's something that I I never want to do, and and uh, it's a really tough decision. Um, and but unfortunately, like Jenna mentioned, like independent rescues is what we go through if we don't have the help of um, you know monetary donations. Whether you know we have different ways. Some people you know don't want to give money, but they want to go and purchase food for our dogs. Everything in our in our storage unit is purchased through our Amazon wish list 
foods, beds, crates, pee pads, toys, treats, leashes and harnesses, uh, everything, you know, if you want to buy something for the dog and, you know, that's completely fine. You know, we take blanket donations, pillow donations, bed donations, whatever you need. I mean, this one thing that we, if we can't use it in Zanil, we bring it into Mexico. If Rosa has no use for it, we reach out to other rescuers in Mexico uh, that rescue on their own and we give it to them. They're, everything's always used and it's either passed down or we directly use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I know this is a really hard question, but kind of how, how do you determine the dogs that you can take in? And do you guys kind of have a limit on how many you can take in at a time? So I- the team and I make a really great team with this because I think she, like if it were up to her, she would take every single dog. She yeah. is hundreds of times on Facebook with dogs. And, um, y- you know, you do have to be realistic of what funds we have in the bank, what open fosters we have, but also what we can personally take on, you know, we're a newer rescue. Um, and, so I, I think, I mean, Fatima has more control over that. Sometimes we don't even know. Rosa will come home one day and call Fatima and say, oh, I found this dog on the side of the road. And now he's part of the TCF community, you know, but I think Fatima has a soft spot for pregnant dogs on the street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pick those <laughs> just, just because you know with pregnant dogs it's like they're the ones that are actively putting more dogs in the streets <laughs> so for me it's like you know having a uh rescue either a pregnant mom or a mom that just had litter a litter or even a mom that has five puppies following her those are the dogs you know that i'm like we gotta scoop them out spay neuter that dog and make sure these other puppies don't reproduce we rescue, there's no one type of dog that we rescue. We rescue every breed, any age. We've rescued, you know, paralyzed dogs. This, this foundation's based on a, a handicapped dog, um, you know, and we've rescued senior dogs, blind dogs. Truthfully, I, I play, I, I, we rescue dogs and then I start praying, please, that we're going to get donations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've been lucky enough to have, to have that support in the community alone. But yeah, I think most of the time we kind of just play it and, and see if we're able to, because like I said, the dogs that we can rescue are the dogs that they really affect, affect us. Um, and like, we just rescued this pregnant mom. She, her, it was her and another dog that were together. She's a small terrier. Her stomach's like this big. She's filled with fleas and takes all over her body. And then she has this huge tumor sticking out of her vagina. And, 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 you know, in the post it said she's had multiple litters. Uh, she, uh, they keep stealing her puppies and they leave her. And what do you do with that? I like, wh- how do I read that? And I'm like, mm, like we might not have enough money. I, I, th- th- there is at that moment, you know, ultimately financially, obviously it's good to think about it and, and have like this whole conversation with your team and say, can we really afford this? But then you see that and I'm not physically there, but I read it and I know we can do something. So we just jump in and do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They can't need that much thinking. <laughs> I think, it's important to um talk about like the shelter system down there because it's very different than here and 
this is what keeps me up at night is that the shelters down there, um, they're not like here, you know, they, they don't have the resources. They are strictly trying to control the stray dog problem by bringing them to these shelters. Um, but most of these shelters will kill every single dog each week. And I say kill because it's not euthanasia. Um, it's, it's an inhumane way to kill a dog, but that is their way to deal with the stray dog problem. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong, but what do you do with that information? So Rosa went to one of these shelters, um, and she filled up her car with 29 puppies because she couldn't physically leave them there knowing that, you know, their lives were going to be ended in just a short couple of days. So it's a continuous cycle that can be solely stopped by the education of spay and neuter. And I think that's so important to talk about because that is the cycle. And unfortunately down there, you know, they don't have the resources. They don't have the education. They don't have the money to do that. But without any of those, it's cycle after cycle after cycle of these dogs giving birth on the streets and it's, it will never end. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I hate to be so blunt about it, but I think when people are educated about the sad reality of what really goes on down there and, you know, people ask us the question, why Mexico, why not San Diego? Well, that's the reason, you know, dogs in San Diego need rescued too. But I think going and seeing firsthand how poorly and neglected the dogs down there are, it's when you see it, it's almost becomes this addictive mm -hmm. where you can't stop because you can see what a difference you can make. Even if you just save one, it's that one dog that you save that now has an amazing family is living the perfect life and I think that's what makes it worth it absolutely and I appreciate the bluntness and even with some of your posts you know how I kind of brought up earlier like sometimes those are really hard to watch but at the same time I feel like it is necessary to put that there so you know your followers and like the social media following that you have can really see what is the reality that you guys are going through and how important it is like to help like you know this foundation and I know I maybe I sound a little bit biased just because like I said I've, I'm you know grew up in Chula Vista so it hits home for real um but I I could just tell it's like different from other organizations you know um and it's amazing that you guys started in April of last year and this is you know what you guys have accomplished so far and um already like you know how you said Fatima like you have a five-year plan you know and I I can't even wait like for that to come you know and to see like what you guys can continue to accomplish. Fatima and I were putting some you know numbers together this morning and you know sometimes she said we do feel defeated because there's so many dogs we can't help but since April we have rescued 394 dogs which is insane to think about. Um, and we've had 297 of those dogs adopted out into amazing homes. And we currently have 85 dogs in our rescue, which is a bit scary, but <laughs> it, it puts into perspective that whenever someone thinks they're not doing enough, like that's 394 dogs that would have starved or been abused or neglected or unloved that are now in forever homes. And I just think that's, that's what drives us. That's what should drive everyone 
to adopt, to foster, to donate, to volunteer, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so kind of speaking more so about the process of donating. So I know you guys have a direct donation and um, you guys have the, um, the TS or sorry, the TCF um, angels that you guys were saying earlier, um, but your Amazon wish list as well. I, I don't want to say like, what do you guys prefer, but um maybe I will just bluntly ask it like that (laughs) and kind of what's the process like helping in general. And like when cast, I, I'm moving back to San Diego next month or actually, sorry, um, at the end of this month. month. (laughs) I know I was like, wait, (laughs) um, and we would love to volunteer like, and we have tons of friends. I know my sister, I, you know, there's so many people that in our lives that absolutely adore dogs and animals in general. And, um, I know volunteering is really important. So we're happy to like lend as much help as we can. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, obviously the monetary donations are the ones that, uh, because we're able to choose where we spend it, whether it's in supplies or medical care, which that's where like 80% of our money goes to is pain, you know, uh, vaccinations, pain, neuters, tests, anything that our dogs need. Uh, but you know, like I said, uh, Amazon donations, even if you have old blankets and you want to drop them off, everybody and their mother now, now they know uh, Jenna's address. So they yeah. just, she, just, she just comes out of her house and she's like, all right, well, blankets. <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, but if you can't donate, if you can't, um, you know, purchase anything from an Amazon wish list, like volunteering is the next step. Um, not only just in our teams, like adoption or foster team, but, you know, we, we want to keep growing. And the only way that we're able to grow is with the support um, of um, of our different teams, you know, whether it's transporting dogs, uh, helping us organize our um, adoption events, um, just like helping out, like, org- like anything that has to be done, we do it. Like, Jenna organizes the the storage unit, you know, we have to check our inventory, you know, when we're, we only have one bag of food left, you know, what do we do? And uh, that's all, everything that you, you can't think about, I I can't think about the smallest thing, but it needs to get done in order for this. It's like a nice little circle that has to keep going in order for it to keep running. We all have to pitch in and do and stay on top of everything, especially. And kind of going with like the adoption are people outside of San Diego able to adopt right now? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we we adopt out in the um in the California area. Uh, we, we are currently not adopting out at a state um because it's just a lot more planning. Um, and unfortunately, we don't have the resources to to plan that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in Boston right now. Boston's one of the cities that we run out of dogs to adopt. That's just, you know, we, we, all the dogs that we have currently in Boston, they all come from the South. Um, you don't see a stray dog. You even see a loose dog off leash here. And, you know, um, I, I'm working on getting a partnership here with our vet, but also trying to see how we could bring dogs from San Diego to Boston. You know, there's flight attendants that can fly dogs for free in their lap you know, whether it's puppies or, you know, a dog is under 25 pounds. Um, we would love that, to flight attendants that are willing to do that. That would be amazing. Yeah. Cause when the flight attendants can fly dogs for free, yeah. they don't have to pay the $125 uh, one way uh, ticket um, for the, the, the dog to fly 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that that would be one of our goals because uh, you know here there's a lot of people that but we don't have any puppies left. There's no puppies. Everybody wants a puppy right now in Boston. You can't find a puppy, and you know, and we have we have like a lot of them. <laughs> right, and I. I would love to hear kind of one of your favorite success stories of any of the dogs that you guys have rescued so far. Mm, Jenna, which was yours? <laughs> I have so many, but I think because I was there when we picked him up, but his name was Leonard. I don't, I'm sure you guys have seen him on our social media, but we took a group down to volunteer at um, one of the shelters down in Ensenada that is, it's, pretty hard to walk into. Um, and I noticed him right off the bat. He was on a crate on the floor and I honestly thought, um, he was dead. He wasn't moving. Grab Fatima. I think we both just started crying. And I think honestly, we thought we were going to take him to the vet to euthanize him, to put him out of his misery because it was that bad. Um, we took him out of the crate. I think he peed for like a straight minute. He kind of wobbled himself, you know, down the walkway, but he was clearly a senior dog who had been neglected his entire life. And I think that senior dogs always get to me, especially down there because they've lived such a long life of neglect and with no one to love them. Um, and he was hit or miss for quite a while. He spent what, six months with Rosa five. Um, and to see that dog turn around like he did and make it to San Diego and go into a foster who later adopted him. And now he's living the most amazing life at, you know, nine, 10 years old is, is truly something special. Yeah, no, I mean, Leonard was definitely, I remember I, I called the vet ahead of time and I said, Hey, like we're coming back. Uh, I have a dog that we potentially will have to euthanize. He was skin and bones. He had bite marks all over his legs. And um, I remember he couldn't walk. We legit had to carry him out of the car. His temperature, what he was like, the regular temperature for dogs is like 38 degree, 38, 37 Celsius. And he was like at 34, 32. He was like in his last leg. And and the vet's like, well, we can, you know, do this and do that. And I'm like, go for it. Like, if we can do it, let's do it. And Two weeks later, you know, I'm back in Boston, uh, going to my work routine and I get this video and Rosa is like, look at Leonard and here comes Leonard walking and he has no teeth and he's, he, we put him in where all the puppies were. He loved to babysit the puppies and they would bark at him and he would bark and he had no teeth. And all you see is like lips just like shaking every time that he barked because he had nothing there. His, his lips would just like shake and he had this big coat on him. Uh, he was, he's tall, but he was really thin. So we got him this big coat that will fit him from his neck to his tail. And it would just, that, that coat was like swimming on him, but he rocked it. He rocked it. And, and yeah, and, and he, he made it back to San Diego and he surprised all of us till this day, you know, um, his foster, his adopter fosters for us. And we constantly get those amazing, you know, videos of him, you know, walk, running in the grass, running at the beach, sleeping on the couch and, and to see how far he's come. Um, it's, it's, it's touching. And it's, it's one of the reasons why we ha- we keep going. You know, I know we talk about, you know, how much we, we, we push through uh, because it really is pushing through. Sometimes we feel, I sometimes 
I feel so defeated, you know, um, and, and it's, it's definitely, it's, it's hard, you know, being in, in this environment where you just want to help out, but there's people that are actively working against that. Um, and sometimes you're like, why am I doing this? <laughs> you know, I just, I added more, more work in my life. I'm, 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 I'm exhausted. Uh, you know, I, I, like I can't emotionally keep, keep pushing through. And then, and then, and then, oh, sorry, I'm going to cry. <laughs> and then Barbara, all of a sudden sends like a picture of Leonard and you're like, oh, fuck, this is why, <laughs> this is why we have to keep going because Leonard would have died in that creek. Nobody was paying attention to him. He yeah. was legit curled up in like a ball and, 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 and placed in a crate on the floor. Nobody saw him. Mm-mm. I don't even know how Jenna found him. And, but when I saw him, I saw him, you know, and, and it was, yeah. <laughs> we later found out too, the U.S. vet. Um, oh, yeah. was used for dog fighting, which is just a whole other set of emotions. But to look at a dog that has been through literal torture and hell to make a full turnaround like that. And it's, that's what makes it worth it. Yeah, definitely. I can't even talk. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm like, Fatima, you're making me cry. <laughs> um, yeah. I think I, this uh, is like our most emotional like uh, <laughs> episode we've done. <laughs> um, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I think what you guys are doing is just absolutely amazing. And it, it's, it's a true sentiment of like who you guys truly are and like your character and even the fosters and the volunteers and even the adopters that you guys get. I think like animals just don't deserve having a terrible life. I think we could use millions more people like you guys. So thank you so much for what you guys do. And again, Cass and I like feel free to reach out to us anytime you guys need help. Like as long as I'm in San Diego and even Fatima, we're like an hour away from each other. Like right now I'm in Rhode Island, but, um, but yeah, what, what you guys are doing is amazing. And thank you so much for doing this. And um, is there anything else that you guys would like our listeners to know or um, where we can find you guys on social media? And um, if, if you want to volunteer, where can people reach out to? Honestly, it's the best feeling, whether it's a puppy or a senior dog, just resting a dog from a neglected past is, it truly is the experience that anyone could ever have. Yeah, I mean, and and like Jenna mentioned before, you know, if you are in the position where you know you can't commit to a dog because a dog is a 10 to 15 year commitment, you know, you part, whether you purchase a dog, you adopt a dog, that dog's for life. And if you're in a position where you can't, you know, you can't commit for a dog, no one's going to judge you. But foster, <laughs> uh, we provide everything you need. Even if you've never had a dog before, Jenna and I will walk you through the whole process. You know, our fosters contact us 24-7 and we're always there for them, either both of us or one of us. And just, you know, if you can't foster, volunteer. And if you go on our website, thecantufoundation.org, and you go on their volunteer, uh, we have a volunteer application where, you know, we have the multiple positions um, that we're looking for. And, you know, if you think you have, you know, if you're a photographer or if one of the questions in our application says, like, what what can you, do you have any special skills that you can contribute, you know? If you're a photographer, if you like to do computer design, you know, we always need help making GIFs you know things like that our rescue has grown and it was born through social media 
it makes me so happy to be able to to bring people along and their journey and have people that most likely will never meet this dog feel part of their experience, whether it's through donating, volunteering, everything helps. Everything I mean, helps. even just as simple as like sharing a post that it's profundity of like social media. And that's really how Fatima and I have met each other, but then how this foundation was born, it's, we couldn't ask for anything more if just people share, like, repost, whatever, just get the word out there. And not just about us, but about any dog that needs help. You know, yeah. it can it can be done if if people are determined to do it. Yeah. I mean, we've had people foster just because they saw a post, or we've had adopters reach out because they saw a dog, you know, the, that their friend reposted. Um, mm-hmm. it, the power of social media, it's incredible. I will forever be thankful for it. We are where we are because of it. Um, And and yeah, I mean, we're accessible through the cantufoundation.org online. And then our Instagram and Facebook is the Cantu Foundation. Well, thank you so much, you guys, again. this Honestly, this is, I know Cass and I keep saying this, but like, this is probably one of our favorite (laughs) episodes. Mm -hmm. It's it's such a pleasure to talk to you guys and learn more about the Cantu Foundation. So thank you so much. Thank you for giving us a platform, you know, and uh, I've listened to a lot of uh, three, four of your episodes already, and I love it. So I'm going to keep listening. (laughs) Thank you for just being so transparent and so like Mm -hmm. open and for being so strong, because even Rachel and I were like trying to hold back. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I always say like, I'm like Chiyona, pero Luchona. You know, I always be crying while I'm picking up a dog off the street, but I have to mm-hmm. keep going. There's no such thing as, yeah. you know, just looking away. You can't turn a blind eye. And we've made the decision to to jump into this journey and jump onto this wagon of probably heartbreaks and, and a lot of tears, but it also at the same time has so many happy endings. And, and we are just so thankful to be able to to play a role in that thank you yes (laughs) thank you guys and we will definitely keep in contact and for anyone listening please feel free to go to their instagram their website into donating or even fostering adopting volunteering any of it um thank you so much you guys we appreciate all your time and we'll be in contact with you guys soon thank you guys Bye. bye bye